Welcome to another edition of Bitcoin Tech Talk. My name is Jimmy Song, and you can always find this newsletter at jimmysong.substack.com to get it in your inbox every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central Time. Jack Dorsey and the VCs, Bitcoin Tech Talk, issue number 272. Jack Dorsey had quite the encounter online this week, particularly with this tweet, which had some consequences. You don't own Web3. The VCs and their LPs do. It will never escape their incentives. It's ultimately a centralized entity with a different label. Know what you're getting into. The tweet was not in response to anything, but a broadside against the game that VCs have been playing for the last eight years. He ended up getting blocked by none other than Mark Andreessen of A16Z which seems to have had the most VCs and portfolio companies responding to him in various ways. What was remarkable was that he didn't back down at all and only proceeded to rebuff all attempts by these VCs to convince him otherwise, making it clear to his followers that he's a Bitcoin-only guy and that Web3 is a scam. As you probably know from reading this newsletter, I'm in complete agreement with Jack on Web3 as an excuse to print money. What he pointed out about VCs is the topic that I want to discuss today. To do this, we must think about what the VC space has been in the past eight years versus what it was before. We have all heard about how visionary VCs funded companies like Intel and Apple and Facebook and how those companies grew with the help of the VCs. This is a story that VCs like repeating because it gets them better deal flow and gets them in the middle of the action. As I've opined before, I think their contributions to companies is hugely overstated, but there aren't many people who are incentivized to say differently. Clearly, VCs want to make themselves out to be the heroes that help turn a good idea into unicorns and founders don't want to piss off the VCs from whom they need money. Further, media gets their stories from the VCs and get all their advertising from them, so they're not going to piss off the VCs either. Government officials tend to get wined and dined by the same people, so really VCs have this very interesting niche where almost nobody says anything bad about them. This is what makes Jack Dorsey's criticism sting so much. VCs are not used to being criticized. If a portfolio company does well, they share in the glory. If they perform poorly, it's blamed on something else. The market, regulators, competitors, bad luck. Rarely do they ever get any criticism, especially if they are getting a good rate of return. The past eight years have been crazy in the tech VC scene with the advent of token sales. The traditional model for VCs has been to get equity in return for capital, which startups generally lack. At a certain stage, the company gets bought or goes public, in which case the VCs make back their money, and usually much more. Traditionally, this has meant the 7-10 to year incubation period during which VCs would have to nurse these companies toward being a real company. This was a hard model for a long time. Most VCs in the 80s lost most years and only hit on a few. The 90s changed everything with the new internet investors class that demand uh, that created demand for more high-powered growth stocks in the market. Now companies could go public without showing profit and the numbers around them became crazier. This brought more VCs into the market, making funding companies more competitive, driving up their valuations. 
companies start, stay private longer and larger, making exits less frequent. The exits, however, were pretty lucrative. Thus came the unicorn phenomenon, where companies only seem to go public after reaching a billion-dollar valuation. For example, Coinbase IPO'd at a near $100 billion valuation earlier this year. The hits were extreme, but that also meant that there were a lot of losers in their portfolios too. What changed in 2013 was the advent of the token sale. This allowed VCs to get into a token at an early stage, but get liquidity on their assets much earlier than the 7-10 to 10 year windows typically needed in a VC-funded firm. Sure, you end up sending use, selling useless junk to the broader public, but who cares if you make money? This was a significant boon to the industry, and many VCs have struck it rich buying tokens at a low valuation to dump them later on a gullible public. There's nothing really being built, and no useful goods or service being, is being generated, but that doesn't concern the VCs since the main concern is a good rate of return. This is what Jack Dorsey is railing against. Web3 is just the latest in a line of useless speculative stuff to sell to the public like altcoins, ICOs, IEOs, NFTs, and DeFi before it. They have gotten away with it because they have had the moniker of decentralization giving them the argument that there's really no one in control and thus it shouldn't be put under scrutiny. What Jack is saying is that they should be put under much more scrutiny because the VCs are the ones who control most of these tokens. Such talk is refreshing because VCs have been unquestioned, have been an unquestioned group for a long time. They're middlemen that capture lots of value while not adding much, even in the best cases. In a tokenized world, they're straight out conning the public out of their money along with the token founders while adding no value whatsoever. The scrutiny that they are now receiving with respect to these token sales is richly deserved, and I am glad that Jack has brought this to the forefront. What's interesting here is that VCs have been going in this direction because of Bitcoin. Bitcoin gets way better returns than VCs, so to convince LPs, they've been playing this token sale game. VCs have a huge disadvantage in a Bitcoinizing world, and they're turning to extracting value from the public through buzzword sales and denigrating Bitcoin in the process to continue their value capture. Of course, that which is unsustainable will not be sustained, so their days are numbered. In other words, this is their high watermark, and that the asset that competes with them directly will destroy them. So I wrote this piece after uh, you know, hearing about what Jack was doing with uh, Web3 and all of the responses back and forth and so on. I think VCs need a lot more scrutiny, because what they are doing is just... I, I think outright fraudulent. It's it's just uh, like some of the token sales stuff and the claims that they're making and stuff like that. It's just absolutely unconscionable that they are um, essentially pumping Ponzi schemes uh, for their own benefit. It's uh, it's it's really bad. Uh, and I think Jack's hinting at it. He's not saying something like that outright, but yeah, I, like they they need much more scrutiny than they're getting. All right, let's talk about Bitcoin. Jeremy Rubin shows how you can do a hash rate derivative on chain called POW swaps. The idea is that miners can hedge their positions using this on chain, assuming they can find a counterparty. Because the data is all on chain, there is no need for an oracle, which definitely simplifies everything. 
That said, I wonder how much something like this would be used. There are already lots of ways to hedge on almost anything with all sorts of entities willing to take risk on the other side of the trade. That said, the concept itself is pretty cool. Um, you know, POW swaps are a way for miners to hedge against like a hash rate go increasing too much or something like that. It would be interesting. Um, suspect though, it'll be mostly just sort of like in industry insiders trying to, uh, you know, like use these things as a speculative vehicle, which most things become these days. Crux is another do-it-yourself hardware wallet, which can be built using off-the-shelf components like Spectre and Seed Signer. The memory gets wiped every time, so the seed phrase is needed nearby. The project itself is cool in that it can generate QR codes, which can then be printed using a thermal printer. Airgap wallets like this are great, and I hope this project, like many others, gains traction. Do not use this yet for production stuff since it's a beta. Uh, so another cool sort of like hardware air gap, um, private key storage device uh, or a signing device, uh, which I, I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll figure out ways to get the UX on these a lot better. Uh, but yeah, I, I applaud this as well. Bull Bitcoin writes in the Bitcoin support blog that multi-sig setups are not that great for non-collaborative setups. As they point out, multi-sig is very difficult and a pretty big headache, and the scenarios which it protects against tend to be remote. The article is bound to be controversial, but there's some wisdom here. Sometimes we make our setups a bit too cute for our own good. So their opinion is that if you are a single user, you shouldn't use multi-sig because the benefits just don't, uh, you know, aren't aren't worth the risks uh, of like sort of shooting yourself in the foot, which I kind of agree with. If you don't really know how to do multi-sig then yeah it, it's going to be more prone to foot guns and so on that said i think uh you know taproot kind of gives you the best of both worlds uh if you if you can manage to uh you know once somebody figures out how to uh make those a reality uh i i don't know of a wallet that has like backup features and things like that OpenSats is a platform to donate to bitcoin open source projects their model seems to be to support developers from those projects with the donations and they have a lot of different supporting organizations including many funds while i always like to see these efforts the fact that at least one bitcoin troll is on the board of directors is a bit of a red flag for me uh, so it's a it's another donation organization so you can give to developers and so on but i, I mean the heck is udi doing on there I, maybe he got on before he turned heel or something like that Let's talk about Lightning. LM Markets newsletter describes what hosted channels are and how they protect the user somewhat. Essentially, these are Lightning channels with no on-chain transaction, making it a custodial channel where you have to trust the custodian. This sounds scary, and it should, but it's also got some nice properties because of the Lightning protocol. If a user doesn't get what they're due from the custodian, users can prove it. It's not ideal, but as the newspaper exp newsletter explains it, probably the least bad custodial wallet out there since there are claims you can make even if you never see those coins so um it's a it's yeah i, I don't know how i feel about hosted channels so the fact that you can sort of open a channel as long as somebody's willing to trust you you can be sort of router and in in a decentralized network you can't really stop them or anything uh but yeah um you know that that's to be expected I, I suspect that it, uh, it lightens the load quite a bit, 
Um, it's just that you know you're gonna have to have some sort of on-chain settlement at some point, uh, whether it's at the beginning or the end or whatever. Hodl Me Tight shows how to set up your Lightning node on both ClearNet and Tor with the bonus of VPN. Post goes through the trade-offs of using each network and all the settings you need to make everything work properly. If you're a Lightning router, this is probably a good idea. Some connections will inevitably be more hidden than others. So. The idea is that you can uh, connect on both ClearNet and Tor and possibly even through a VPN and everything like that. Um, and it's it can be very useful because you might need to route things in all sorts of ways. Um, and, you know, that can be very profitable for a router eventually. Bolts is an exchange that uses Lightning to convert a shapeshift style without any accounts. The interesting thing here is that you can convert lightning amounts into on-chain amounts, making this something like a submarine swap. It will be interesting to see if the regulatory perspective of Bitcoin for Bitcoin exchange counts for KYC purposes. Shapeshift was forced by the government to start collecting customer information, but they were trading between different assets. This one is largely Bitcoin only, making it something like a coin join. So what you can do with their service is you don't have an account and you know if you connect through tour or whatever you can take you can deposit in lightning and bitcoin get bitcoin back and really uh if you've hidden it well enough there's no way to sort of trace the two and they're different kind of networks a little bit but you're getting bitcoin for bitcoin so uh very interesting concept i thought i thought this was uh this has some privacy implications which should be interesting all right economics engineering etc Nick Carter and Lucas Nuzi show how proof of work is worth it. The piece is directed at FTX, which came out in favor of proof of stake as the preferred alternative. As they show, FTX is completely off base in thinking that high fees are the result of proof of work, and they clearly have less than pure motives in promoting proof of stake. After all, exchanges are likely to be able to benefit hugely as they'll be able to influence those cryptocurrencies that use proof of stake in a way that they wouldn't be able to do with proof of work. The block size war likely would have been won by the exchanges and businesses had Bitcoin been proof of stake. So, um, you know, I, I think Nick and Lucas are pointing out the obvious that FTX is pushing proof of stake because they want more control and more say, um, which they do in proof of stake uh, protocols because they have, you know, a significant amount of the hash rate and so on. With proof of work, it's different because it's whoever provides the energy, and they have hard economic incentives. Um, proof of stake, it's it's not at all clear. So, um, interesting perspective, and I, I think I agree with them. Uh, Stefan Levera argues that we shouldn't be getting to zero fiat, as tempting as that may be. His argument is mainly that there's a good chance of getting wrecked in a bear market, and that the reporting requirements are a big headache. I would say that this makes sense up until a certain amount of sets are stacked, at which point going all in may make sense. That said, his perspective is one to keep in mind. So uh, basically, there is a movement for going zero fiat in all Bitcoin. And I think his his case makes sense at like below a certain amount. If only you only have like six months of you know uh, savings and you're putting it all in Bitcoin, then that might be reduced to three and you might get wrecked if you lose your job or something like that. Um, whereas if you have like several years, I think going on at all Bitcoin, uh, you know, standard might be okay. But that's that's just my opinion. But you should read his article um, to see his argument. Ryan McMakin uh, writes about the history of how government came to control the money supply. 
The post is instructive and shows what led to the occurrence. The story involves coinage, banking, and particularly credit, which ultimately led to states wanting to control this sector to fund wars. The perniciousness and unfairness of the current system can't be appreciated without the historical context shown in pieces like this. So this is, uh, you know, not a Bitcoin-specific piece, but it is all about fiat money and how, you know, the state came to control money. Um, and it was largely because of this idea of credit, and they needed credit to fund wars because uh, they didn't have the funds on hand. And by controlling it, they could fund wars as much as they want. That That's essentially what fiat money is. Brains OS examines the impact of temperature on the new and minor X19 machines. Looks like the machines, like most, are sensitive to temperature and require less power the lower the ambient temperature. This is not particularly surprising, but experiments like this will matter quite a bit for all the different mining conglomerates as extracting a little more hash rate is the name of the game. Um, so I didn't even realize that this was a... Uh, this is something that they have, uh, Brains OS, uh, like as, as a blog. So uh, really interesting research. Um, and if you're a miner, you definitely should take a look. Hugo Wen debunks Ethereum rollups. This is Ethereum's answer to Lightning. If that sounds familiar, it should be. Plasma was supposed to be the answer, but they haven't produced anything despite raising lots of money through an ICO. So now the hope is another type of layer two which Hugo shows will be much more expensive to run than the already very expensive Ethereum base chain. The post is informative in the level of hand-waving and outright deceit and making new tech sound like something it's not. So, um, you know, these roll-ups or whatever, they're like another layer two. Um, it's just kind of crazy, the requirements uh, to run these. So it's not decentralized at all. And, uh, and they're, you know, fast becoming like just like utterly completely centralized at many different points um but yeah interesting uh fiat La yaf uh explains how ipfs is horribly broken as usual the promises of a decentralized x are just empty promises as he shows you can do everything right and still lose all your data it's not robust the incentives are broken and it's another project that pretends to solve something when in fact it has the same dependencies as anything else on the web of note is that Ethereum enthusiasts built this and it really does seem engineered at about the same level of competence. That is pretty poorly. So IPFS is this uh, internet file sharing protocol or something like that where you store uh, your file on IPFS and it's accessible or something like that. He tested it, can't, can't get any of these uh, files that he supposedly stored on there because the incentives don't work right like it, you you have no incentive to store it unless you're getting paid or something like that and um and if uh, it's not retrieved very often then you might just kind of lose it and say well i i don't have it when someone asks for it They're, the the incentives are just all completely off and if it sounds familiar it should because that's uh, how ethereum is designed basically Quick hits, uh, there are some nice bounties for developers of Lightning available. I think these are from HRF. Um, should be, and Strike, I think. Uh, should be interesting to see if anyone takes them. Bitcoin is a pretty popular gift this Christmas season. Uh, and, uh, you know, like, lots of people are giving Bitcoin as their Christmas present. SEC keeps punting on spot ETF proposals, so they really seem against spot ETFs. Another week, another crypto project has a vulnerability. At least this one was disclosed responsibly. So uh, this is this involves zero knowledge proofs and Shamir secret sharing, but 
apparently a bunch of these chains had it and they're all all coins that you would suspect they just sort of copy each other so of course it affected all uh, a bunch of them um all right some events we will have a book launch event in washington dc sometime in late january or early february this will be an opportunity to give staffers a look into the bitcoin constituency if you're interested stay tuned i am planning to be in london for advancing bitcoin march 3rd and 4th and uh and i am planning to be at bitcoin 2022 in miami april 6th or 8th and i will have my programming blockchain seminars in london and miami right before those conferences on this week's Bitcoin Fixes This, I talked to Jerry Boyer about his book, The Maker Versus the Takers. Find out why the biblical narrative about the rich is really more about rent-seeking behavior than actually having money. I read through last week's newsletter, which you can find. And the Breed Love series continues with a discussion about democracy as an ide ideology. And the latest book is out now. It's Bitcoin and the American Dream, and it is available on Amazon. And thank you to all of you who uh, supported us on Kickstarter. Uh, my other books are Programming Bitcoin, The Little Bitcoin Book, and Thank God for Bitcoin, all of which you can find on Amazon. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this newsletter. I'm an advisor and proud to be a part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or Bitcoin-native financial services, learn more at Unchained.com. Fiat Delenda Est, this song is...